11.30 here in the Central Time Zone. Thank you so much for listening to us here on 880 KRV. Time for us to begin our midday show. Scott Foster in here with you. Lots to talk about. Seems like it's been a really busy sort of day around here. Jason Jorgensen's in here with sports. We'll check in on business, see how things are going there. We'll also check in with Susan Littlefield right now in the farm department. Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. Rebel kicks everything off at 1219 as we learn about the UNL livestock judging team and as it gets ready to prepare for some upcoming competitions. Then taking place at 1245, Brandon's going to talk with Troy Whitworth. He's the new Kansas DOT Director of Safety. And I'll wrap up everything at 117, sharing the interview that fellow farm broadcaster Tony St. James did with Chandler Gould as he talks about wheat and Washington. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. And turn it over to Jason Jorgensen and... Uh, uh, Another Omaha Central product uh, when you look at Gail Sayers as he passes away today. Was born in Wichita, ended up uh, spending some time in Omaha, then went back to KU to play football, went on to star for the Bears. You know, not often do guys make the Hall of Fame when they really only were able to play or produce for five years, but that speaks to just how great of a player he was. I've always said. Uh, he was Barry Sanders before Barry Sanders. Yeah, he was that kind of a back when he watched the old highlights. He just was he, and he was smooth the uh, way he ran. He just sort of glided, almost Amon Green, as I mentioned, kind of like that. He just uh, uh, really just an amazing career for. And of course, the movie didn't help, didn't hurt either. And I'd kind of forgotten about the movie yeah. until that came out today. But yeah, passed away at seventy-seven. Sound like he'd been sick for quite a while. I, I did not know that. So. Uh, a lot of folks looking back on the uh, the life and the times of Gail Sayers. Yeah. Makes you wonder how he didn't become a Husker. And I'd heard that story somewhere, how he kind of slipped through. But I might have to go back and revisit that. Mm. But uh, Interesting. How did he get away? Yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. So we'll uh, touch on that. Also, speaking of football, we'll get the thoughts of UNK head coach Josh Lynn. Lobers are going to try to play some football. Four games starting on October 31st. First one on Halloween down in... Pittsburgh, Kansas, as they take on the Gorillas. Of course, we'll have all four of those games. We cross our fingers, but no, nothing's given. Right. I, I, I try to temper that a little bit uh, when you see the news that Notre Dame and Wake Forest cannot play this week. But uh, if the Lopers play those four games, uh, we will have those for everybody over on the river. And we're excited about that. And who knew it would take a pandemic for the for the Lopers to get to play Shadron State at home on November 7th. Not that UNK hasn't wanted to play, but since they joined the MIAA, no non-conference games. And they've made a couple of runs at trying to get that changed. And that's fun. Uh, they have that locked up. That's fun. I, I like that. That's pretty exciting. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Well, stocks uh, indexes are mixed in early trading as Wall Street's tumultuous month continues. The S&P 500 was down two-tenths. Lower after giving up a little earlier gain. The latest erratic trading for a market dominated by several sudden turns of momentum recently. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up a little bit. However, it has fallen off too. All indices are down at this point. So we'll take a look at all of that on uh, business coming up in during midday. And we got more of midday coming up as we turn it over to Clay Pat. 
And we go to Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, let's take a check here of the midday market trade. And there we see the grains broadly lower. But I want to talk about kind of a grind still there for corn and soybeans. But wheat seems to have taken out some critical levels and is getting some momentum to the downside. Yeah, we've got a situation now where the stochastics are in a firm sell signal, in my opinion, Clay, at this point, with the ability of soft red going below 550 here midday. And, and I think this goes back to what you're talking about in terms of a momentum shift, is I think that sentiment and momentum become more and more important when you lose technical chart objectives or old support or old resistance levels. So we go below 550. That opens us up to a trend line support of around 540 and then also a 200-day uh, moving average, which would be right around the 530 area. And so these are probably the next targets that we'll be looking at, especially given that the Russian ruble has been able to hit a fresh 22-week low against the U.S. dollar. And I think this is the heart of what's going on in the uh, grain markets right now is the currencies and the energies and the macro factors in general are really starting to play a bigger and bigger role, naturally so as we get closer to the election, naturally so since we didn't get a new fiscal stimulus bill for here in the United States, and naturally so because of what's happening with U.S.-China frictions and those continuing to kind of be elevated as we go through each week. The one thing I notice here on the grain page is the fact that the soybean meal market has been extremely strong today. Does this come from the fact that soybean crush margins are maybe more in the positive, or do traders think the next shift here for exports is going to be in meal once China fills up its quotas there for actual soybeans? I don't think the trade is necessarily worried about the demand side, even though we had fresh sales to China and unknown destinations this morning in soybeans. I think with their Golden Week holiday coming in the 1st of October, with our Gulf and our Pacific Northwest getting very, very logistically heavy and very difficult to get uh, export barges out and, and cargo ships loaded at this point because of this heavier volume we've seen, I think we're, we're feeling okay on the demand side in terms of we've rationed enough demand. I think the big question continues to be the drought in Argentina, especially uh, one area, Cordoba province, a very key region, they're having forest fires along the lines of what we're seeing in our west coast and some of the Buenos Aires uh, news sources that I use uh, are suggesting it's the worst situation in over 40 years. A friend of mine that lives down there is suggesting the exact same thing. So I think the supply side continues to be the question mark, and maybe that's what's underpinning this market, especially before the stocks report at the end of the month. Go to livestock there. Cold storage out yesterday. We're a little bit higher month to month, but overall we're still lower. Does this show, despite the fact we've got kill runs back on pace, we are still uh, still have a strong demand market for the proteins? Yeah, and I think on the supply side, it would suggest on the cold storage report the fact that beef's year-to-date numbers are down 2%, but pork year-to-date's down 23%, that the hogs probably still have the leadership quality to them in terms of being able to pull the cattle higher than maybe what fundamentally the cattle are justified getting in the fourth quarter, especially with heavy, heavy dressed weight. So I think we're probably now positioned out of the cold storage report and getting ready in the hogs to position for the weekly export sales before we turn our attention to the cattle cattle on feed, and then the hogs and pigs report. A lot of data in the ag sector here the next week, and it's the end of the quarter, so expect that volatility to stay very elevated. 
Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. If you'd like to talk to Mike personally on how he can help manage the risk on your farm or ranch, visit GlobalComResearch.com. Mention the Rural Radio Network. Mike's going to set you up with a two-week free trial of his newsletter and analysis. And being a subscriber, you get that before anybody else gets to see that data and information. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involved risk of loss that may not be suitable for all investors. It's fall, which means that we're about to fall in line and deliver lunch to hungry grain truck drivers in central Nebraska. Keep an eye out for us. We'll be driving a Pony Express Chevrolet pickup with the best barbecue and beef around from Skeeter Barn and an ice-cold bottle of water. Get ready for a full belly and to fall in line with KRVN, The River, Cami, and... Heartland Chevrolet and Buick in Lexington, Flatwater Bank in Gothenburg, Brady and Ansley, and KRVN Radio 880... Time for us to check in on our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. we got uh, Paul Perkins in here. And, uh, well, you know, we're kind of settling in with this high pressure, but uh, maybe a little less hazy. Exactly, today. yeah, because you know, I've noticed at night you, we're not seeing that smoke on the horizon. You right. get, we actually see some sunset. We see the sunset on the horizon, not about... <laughs> A ways up, You're and right. then it just disappears. Because last week there, it was really disappearing oh, yeah. quickly. It was like the horizon had gotten raised. Yeah, you know? Exactly. And that's just, a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's good. But we do have a few clouds creeping in uh, in the corners of the state. Exactly, yeah. Some clouds departing southeast Nebraska. That's thanks to uh, uh, actually Tropical Storm Beta mm. swinging some clouds up towards the southeast part of Nebraska and eastern Kansas. Those are gradually expected to burn off. Also, some clouds just to the southeast of the Tri-Cities, and a scattering of clouds in the Nebraska Panhandle uh, with the approach of uh, a front, but nothing major, maybe actually squeezing out a few sprinkles towards the Lions, Highness, and Gordon. Uh, sometime we do have some rain in the forecast. <laughs> we will take it. Huh? Exactly. Right now, most of our temperatures, though, still in the upper 60s to the low 70s, but it does turn much warmer as you head towards western Nebraska, the Sand Hills, on into far southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado. That's where temperatures are currently in the upper 70s to the low 80s, but then a spattering still of some low 70s in the southern Nebraska panhandle. This first full day of fall, Still feeling very summer-like with our temperatures that are expected to be 10 to 15 degrees warmer than average. And also, of course, sunshine continuing to uh, take a better hold across the area. A ridge of high pressure across the central plains will continue that trend of well above normal temperatures all the way through the end of the week through Friday. The first of a series of cold fronts begins to push to the south by Friday. Any rain chances now are dropped from the forecast, and the current forecast indicating dry weather all the way through Wednesday. The rapid succession of cold fronts will drive the moisture and the focus for any rain away from Nebraska and Kansas and towards the upper Midwest. A stronger cold front does move through on Monday. Our daytime highs in the 70s this week will we, this weekend, rather, will fall into the 60s as we head towards Tuesday. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be slightly cooler than normal for the most part Monday through the first six days of October. Not a big blast of cool air expected, especially uh, when you compare it to that blast of cold air that we had over after Labor Day. So nothing like that, but just slightly cooler than normal to close out the month through the first days of next month. The much cooler air expected to be off to our east and much warmer air to 
to our west. Chances continue to be very high for below normal rainfall from Monday through the 6th of October for Nebraska, Kansas, and practically much of the U.S. Key weather factors affecting market decisions include mainly dry weather for the Midwest and the continuing prediction of just some light rain for central Brazil. The remnants of Tropical Storm Beta will drift generally to the northeast and continue to weaken. Additional southeastern U.S. rainfall totals could total right around one three to five inches or more. A few days from now, a series of cold fronts will cross the Midwest and generate some scattered showers. Some of the most significant rain, right around one to two inches over the next five days, should fall towards the Great Lakes. Mostly dry weather will continue the next five days from the plains to the mid-Mississippi Valley. In the Midwest, the dry weather the rest of this week will benefit the harvest. This weekend's front will spread showers across the Midwest. Another system right behind it early next week may bring the potential of moderate rain along with rapidly falling temperatures. In the northern plains, the mostly dry conditions this week will benefit the remaining spring wheat harvest as well as early corn harvest. Showers in North Dakota today may delay the harvest in some areas. Across Brazil, in the central areas, only scattered showers are forecast the next five days. The rain amounts still indicated to be light and less than needed to get their soybean planting underway. Heavy rain expected to return to southern Brazil by this weekend. It's amazing to look at the uh, pictures of the folks down along the Texas Gulf and stuff like that around Houston, seeing how much rain they're getting, and we can't get a drop. I know, and you know, all these systems have been just continuing to stay to our southeast that have been moving onshore, and uh, the best we're getting right now is some clouds over southeast Nebraska and uh, northeast Kansas. Yeah, something else. All right, well, appreciated, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. District. Collegiate livestock judges are gearing up for competition. I'm Rebel Seclocha reporting. I'm visiting with Arkansas native Blaine French, the head livestock judging coach at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To start, this is your second year at the university as head coach. What are some of your takeaways from last year? Facilities here are second to none. Um, here at the University of Nebraska and the Animal Science Department, great facilities for, for working livestock and, and for a livestock judging team to be able to have a good working environment for practice. But the first thing I noticed when I got here was just the support level uh, from not only my higher-ups here in the department, my higher-ups across the uh, Kasner College here on campus, but just across the state. Livestock producers are um, everywhere, uh, and they're in the masses, and they definitely want to see a competitive livestock judging program in the state of Nebraska, and so that was very encouraging for me, uh, you know, a kid from Arkansas, you know, uh, moving up here to a place where there's a lot more livestock, you know, it's labeled as the beef state, and I can definitely see why, you know, we don't have to go very far from Lincoln uh, to see some of the best livestock in the country, and that certainly helps. There are certain things that are out of your control with the pandemic going on, but what are some of the goals you have for the team this year? Well, our, our goal stays the same for each for each and every team. Uh, you know, in the, in the senior collegiate livestock judging circuit, uh, you know, there's four major contests and then other regional contests across the country. Uh, and the last one that we have is Louisville uh, in November, and that's the national championship. And so, um, that is at our absolute goal. Um, when I moved up here and took this position, I want to bring a national championship back to the University of Nebraska, and I, I don't see any reason with the support that we have, just the, the competitive kids, not only that we have across the state, but uh, that I think we can bring here from the junior college level. That's, that's our constant goal. Um, you know, other specific goals for this team, this was the first full team that I got to put together myself. 
Um, and, and, you know, I just wanted them to, you know, my, my goal for all my kids is when we walk out of Louisville at the end of the year, whether we were first or last, um, you know, I want them to think, man, I'm glad I did that. Obviously, livestock judging has been a big part of your life. What do you think is the most valuable thing you gain from judging or that you think your team is taking away from the experience? Uh, the most important thing, I, I'll always tell you, I, I, I love winning. I love being competitive, but that probably uh, falls second to, to me. The first thing that, that these kids get from it and from what I got from it is just you meet some of your best friends uh, that you'll have for the rest of your life. Uh, you meet some of the business contacts that you'll have for the rest of your life. If you have aspirations of being a, a livestock producer, we have the ability to get you connected uh, with the right people across the country. Uh, and then, like I said, just the, the times that you have in a van with your team uh, that you'll never forget, those will be your friends for the rest of your life. And then, you know, coming after that, like I said, I, I really think that being a part of a competitive livestock judging team is a is a key point to have on a resume. Uh, I know bosses across the country, really regardless of what the uh, discipline is, I know they look for that uh, type of leadership and they look for people that they can trust, again, to make quick, accurate decisions, which our kids have to do uh, judging those classes of livestock, and then they have to defend those decisions in the reasons room, and you're going to have to do that every day, uh, regardless of what your job is and what you're doing. And so I think uh, it's, it's a venue that you can teach kids that all while being involved with livestock and, and continuing that. So there's lots to, lots to gain, with, gain from it. It's not just the, just the livestock portion. Once again, that was Blaine French, the head livestock judging coach at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. If you're interested in learning more about the UNL livestock judging team, you can email blaine.french at unl.edu. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Rebel Seclocha reporting on the Rural Radio Network. And it is time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, Chicago Bears Hall of Fame running back Gail Sayers passed away today. The native of Omaha made his mark as one of the NFL's best all-purpose running backs and was later celebrated for his enduring friendship with a Bears teammate with cancer. Nicknamed the Kansas Comet, Sayers was considered among the best open-field runners the game has ever seen. Yet it was his rock-steady friendship with Brian Piccolo, depicted in the 1971 film Brian's Song, that marked him as more than just a sports star. He passed away today at the age of 77. They had to be patient, but UNK now has a football schedule this fall. The Lopers, Missouri Western, and Pittsburgh State announced a non-conference scheduling alignment that allows the three MIAA schools to play a partial schedule beginning late next month. Head coach Josh Lynn is very happy with how this all lined up. Uh, I'm fired up, and you know, I think it's really a compliment to where we live regionally. You know, we're going to get to play a couple regional games, an in-state region game with Shatter State. Uh, that's, you know, I know a lot of people around this area will look forward to, you know, and then, you know, the next thing is, is we're not, you know, we're not going anywhere crazy. I think the farthest we go is Pittsburgh, Kansas. I was really happy with the efforts of Mark Bauer, uh, piecing this, uh, schedule together and, and getting two home games and getting two away games. It just fits perfectly what we want to do. UNK, Pittsburgh State, and Missouri Western will all play each other. The Lopers will also play Shadron State at home on November 7th and they'll have a road game at South Dakota Mines. Loper's first game once again is set for Halloween in Pittsburgh against the Gorillas. Notre Dame's game at Wake Forest this Saturday has been postponed after positive COVID-19 tests landed 13 Fighting Irish players in isolation and another 10 in quarantine. Notre Dame says the process of rescheduling that game is underway. 
There's more good news on the volleyball front. The NCAA Board of Directors approved a plan for the Division I tournament moved to the spring. The volleyball regular season will begin January 22nd with the NCAA Tournament Selection Show on April the 4th. The NCAA's Final Four would take place April 23rd through the 25th. Now, the Final Four was scheduled to be in Omaha in December, and the city still may end up hosting that in the spring. And the Denver Nuggets needed to start to fight back, and they did that last night. They knocked off the 14-106 in Game 3. Jamal Murray led the way with 28 points, 12 assists, and 8 rebounds. That victory cut the Lakers' lead to 2-1 to one on the Western Conference Finals. Now, Denver has sent a record by erasing two 3-1 deficits this postseason, but no team has ever come back from being down 3-0. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. degree murder trial of a Saline County woman began in Lexington today. Because of the large size of the jury pool, jury selection took place in the building just west of the downtown area. Bailey Boswell, age 26, is accused in the 2018 death of 24-year-old Sidney Loof. Loof's remains were found in rural Clay County. The Boswell trial was moved to Dawson County following extensive publicity of Aubrey Trail, a co-conspirator in the case. Trail was convicted of first-degree murder in a Saline County jury trial. Three weeks have been set aside to try the case on third floor of the Dawson County Courthouse in the district courtroom. This week, September 20th through the 26th, is National Farm Safety Week. And with harvest getting underway, Tracy Detliff's Trauma Outreach Coordinator at CHI Health Good Samaritan Hospital in Kearney gives us these tips on how to be safe this harvest season. Planned maintenance and equipment checks ahead of time can minimize your downtime and reduce potential mishaps during harvest. Also, educate your workers on equipment safety, including hazardous areas and materials. Make sure that guards and shields are intact and secure before equipment is even started. Keep tractor rotation structures in place and wear any seatbelts that are provided. Outfit all your tractors with fire extinguishers and first aid kits. And always tell someone where you'll be working for the day and check in regularly. Detlifts also encourages motorists to slow down and pay extra attention while driving this time of year, especially to allow more time and space for those larger harvest vehicles on the road and for harvesters to get plenty of rest to avoid sleep deprivation and extreme physical exhaustion. Officials in the Omaha bedroom community of Blair are reporting a coronavirus outbreak at a nursing home with at least 24 residents and eight staff members infected. The Three Rivers Public Health Department reported the outbreak at Crowell Memorial Home in Blair. The facility is licensed for 108 assisted living and skilled nursing beds. A phone message left Tuesday for the home's assistant administrator was not immediately returned. Another Blair facility was the site of one of the nursing home outbreaks in Nebraska. Carter Place and Blair temporarily closed after 13 residents and six staff members tested positive in the spring. A former manager of three fast food restaurants in the Omaha area has been sentenced to two and a half years in federal prison for stealing from the chain's owner. Federal prosecutors say in a news release that 39-year-old Robert Giardia was also ordered Monday to pay more than $30,000 in restitution. Prosecutors say that Giardina used his brother's identity to apply for the job and was hired in 2017 to manage the three restaurants. Over the next year, he used the restaurant's financial system to give himself fake funds 275 times on eight credit cards. 
Prosecutors did not name the restaurants where Garadina worked or the company that owned the franchises. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. KRVN, 93.1 The River, and Cami have always blazed new trails. This year is no different. We're giving you a chance to win a brand new Chevrolet Blazer. And not just any Blazer. A 2020 Blazer loaded with extra details like tinted windows and a custom paint job. For your first look, go to KRVN.com and check it out. Be listening because we'll be giving more details on how you can get registered to win the Blazer this fall. We are blazing new trails. Thanks to these partners. Eustace Body Shop, Eustace, Cozad, Lexington, Kearney, Grand Island, and Lincoln. Heartland Chevrolet and Buick, Lexington. Nutrien Ag Solutions. Suretop Angus and Charlet, Farnham. Cornerstone Bank. Member FDIC. With 43 locations serving Nebraska. Central Valley Irrigation. Holdridge, Lexington, Kearney. Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group. And Lexington Regional Health center and brandon Bennett's with the rural radio network and we're talking with troy whitworth recently selected as the kansas department of transportation's new director of safety troy tell us a little bit about yourself your background and your rise through the ranks there at the kansas department of transportation including effective september 1st being named the new director of safety well, Brandon is interesting as you and i both graduated from Putnam county high school in unionville missouri and, you know, I guess it all started there, growing up in, in the Midwest and graduating from that school. And I actually went to school after high school at SMSU in Springfield, Missouri, which is now Missouri State University. I spent two years there before coming to work for the Kansas Department of Transportation in uh, February of 1988. In that, I started out as an equipment operator and worked my way up through the ranks to, well, highway maintenance supervisor, a superintendent in the Kansas City metro area where, you know, there's a ton of traffic. So I spent 20 years working in Kansas City through those different ranks of um, equipment operator all the way to superintendent. And then... I um, moved to Topeka as a staff maintenance manager. In that position, I managed several projects. One of those projects was road weather information systems or where most states actually have road weather information systems. They give temperature-related sensor data, so pavement, air temperature, wind speed direction and some precipitation information that come back to KDOT to help us make better decisions on weather and pavement temperature. And then um, I spent time working with other states in that capacity through a pooled fund study where we did different projects to help further that process along. After my staff maintenance manager position, I promoted to the assistant to the director of operations, where I spent a ton of time working on policy decisions, a lot of our budget for our division of operations, which the division of operations is actually the largest portion of the Kansas Department of Transportation. We had about 1,700 employees in the division of operations, which is basically 
construction employees that might be working on the road on projects to maintenance employees that would be working on the road after projects are completed doing maintenance-related tasks. But, you know, mentoring, providing guidance, again, on policy, and, you know, a lot of my background and my expertise was my knowledge of the field, so I was able to apply some of my field experience to the um, decisions that were being made, you know, and help provide guidance to my boss, my director of operations, and to our field district engineers that would be making decisions so that they can make better decisions for the folks that work for them. And then come to my new position, which I've promoted into, which is our director of safety, which is um, quite interesting because we deal mostly in my division with safety-related items that deal with personnel that are out on the road and how you know, our safety culture impacts the things that they do and trying to improve that safety culture and provide a better guidance and understanding of how to stop some of these accidents and incidents that are preventable. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, and I'm chatting with Troy Whitworth, who was recently selected as the Director of Safety for the Kansas Department of Transportation. Troy, in your new position as Director of Safety, what are those things that you are going to be focusing on, your platform for safety, so to speak, and do you have any tips or suggestions for all the agricultural producers out there listening who are getting ready to embark on harvest? One of the biggest things that I, I would say for, you know, direction of what we're doing, again, you know, safety culture is huge to where we want to be, and internally and externally, folks should be wearing seatbelts. They should be watching out for construction projects that are going on. So during harvest, as folks are coming into work zones and things, and be mindful of road signs that are out there, construction signs that are out there, flaggers that may be out doing traffic control for these construction projects. And those are some of the things. Just be mindful of your surroundings. You know, we have folks that are always out there on the road doing some sort of work, whether it's our construction side that are working with projects or our maintenance side that are out trying to do the maintenance on the roadways as well. Troy, the last word is yours. Any final thoughts about your new position or safety in the state of Kansas? I'm extremely excited about my new position and the impact that this means for the state of Kansas and for KDOT itself. You know, our governor and secretary of transportation both are very interested in safety and promoting safety throughout the state. So it's a very exciting time for us, I believe. That was Troy Whitworth, effective September 1st, named into the position of the Director of Safety for the Kansas Department of Transportation. With the Rural Radio Network, this is fellow Putnam County graduate, Brandon Bennett. Fellow farm broadcaster Tony St. James shares with us a report from Washington, D.C., talking wheat. 
And I've got a fantastic team here in D.C. Most of us came off the Hill in the House or the Senate side and from the Senate or House Ag Committee. But anytime I can get an actual wheat grower, and it's even better if I can get the wheat grower and their family here to go in and talk to these urban members about what they're doing for water conservation, what they're doing for uh, to, to end or slow down erosion, uh, how they're putting cover crops out there. And, you know, that this is the food that they're feeding their kids and really explain the story and bring pictures, you know, uh, and, and show them what your uh, production system looks like that will always carry uh, more weight than than myself and my team going up there and lobbying on your behalf chandler ghoul is ceo national association of wheat growers which is why our winter meeting is so important that's when we bring all of our growers in and we and we canvas uh, capitol hill and i'm concerned with the covid virus that we may even have to delay that meeting and and next year you know, next fall, we could easily start having farm bill hearings, whether it's out uh, abroad or here in Washington, D.C. So groundwork is being laid now. I would expect NOG to have uh, draft uh, priorities next year, and they will be solidified by the beginning of 2022. So we know exactly what priority orders our wheat growers want to see the 2023 farm bill written in. And wheat growers are preparing for that next farm bill. But we are going to start laying down the framework of what we need to see in the 2023 farm bill based on the 18 and the 14 farm bill. What's working? What's not working? Um, what is clear in the conservation programs? What is not? And Gould explains... What we need to be doing is production agriculture. And I don't mean just the wheat growers. I mean all of us row crops, specialty crops, and the livestock organizations. We need to get together and make sure that it is very clear to the uh, to the Congress and to the Senate of what we are doing to be a solution for climate, to be a solution for carbon, because I think we're going to see a major play by food companies that are going to try to step into this farm bill, tell us how to produce our food, how to produce our meat, so they can get whatever label it is they want to put on their packaging in the grocery store. And I'm hoping, and this is my ask, if any of the food companies are listening to this, please come to us and work with us. Don't come and work against us in the farm bill. We are here to work with you. But if, but if this goes sideways, we're going to be told how to produce food instead of doing it how we know best. On the demand side, one area was showing promise, or at least it was. The Grain Foods Foundation has been working on a flour checkoff that uh, NOG has been supportive of. Um, there would be an assessment at the millers and the bakers uh, points of sale, and you can get more details on that. But that program was put into place to help build uh, domestic demand and to talk about the nutritional value of whole grains and why it's important to keep that uh, in not only the dietary guidelines, but just to educate the consumers so we can get off these crazy diet ideas that we need to be uh, you know, carb-free and, and uh, 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 no, no potatoes and gluten-free and um, all these things that we know are not healthy for you. Unfortunately, um, that program was pulled from the Federal Register last week. Uh, I find that very unfortunate uh, due to a small percentage, um, I believe, of bakers that were upset with the program who had originally signed off on it. So if we can figure out a way to continue forward, this is going to delay that program six to eight months of being uh, being implemented. Uh, so we continue to support the Grain Foods Foundation uh, and the entire wheat value chain because once again that's chandler Gould, ceo national association of wheat growers in washington dc i'm tony st james thanks to fellow farm broadcaster tony st james for sharing that report while he's in washington dc this week you're listening to the world radio network 
Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's look at the closing grain futures with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. Although they do settle off of their lows a day in the red for the entire grain complex, do we need to be most concerned with today's wheat action where it seems to be technically driven? Well, yeah, and we got that good news. Uh, last night or early this morning, the Egyptian tender came out, and it was 255 with freight, which, I mean, if you and I were talking two years ago, we'd be talking about 210, 210, maybe even 205 uh, with freight. So that global price has come up amidst a really good harvest in Russia. But, um, you know, I still think the market has a little bit of uh, premium built into it because of fun buying and, and speculative buying. I think that's been a big part of the push here. And, and it just isn't a seasonal push for it in the feed side, just given where pipelines are filling up. And Australia looks like they're going to have a decent crop, and it is raining in Argentina. So it's, uh, you know, today it's down. Tomorrow we'll find another reason it'll be up with a private currency driven. Speaking of those currencies, the U.S. dollar index continues to appear to be the safe haven, but I look down at the euro and I've heard that some institutional investors and big investment banks really watch the euro around that 120 level. We're four points below that. Could we see a reversal? Well, 110, it's a, you know, I met with a couple of corporations on who do their uh, currency hedging, and a lot of them talk about 110 and 120, really. 120 is kind of where the market can get optimistic as far as commodities go, and that's a weak dollar point, and then on the other side of it, breaking 110, that's kind of fear factor for, for the Eurozone in general, back where we were uh, this spring. So we've rallied from 108 up to 118, which is significant given the dollar exposure. Um, but we're starting to crack here, and we closed today uh, in Europe on a low that we haven't seen since early July. So watch those currencies tomorrow. I, I got a feeling more in the macro space, uh, the way on, on U.S. futures, but from standpoint of, uh, of profit-taking in, in grains, I think that's something to, to kind of keep your eyes on as well. This, this whole dynamic where the dollar sold off, it really hasn't broken much against the peso of Argentina or the real of Brazil. So, um, you know, we're not getting any favors there. It uh, doesn't mean it won't change, but in the short run, to get a move in beans like up into the teens, I think you need to see that happen. Um, to get prices to continue to rally in the short run to, say, C11 or 12, I think you've got to see a South American weather problem. Right now we're setting up a little bit for it, but it's so early. It's so hard to say, hey, you know, it's dry now, but a month from now it's not dry. So, it, you know, you got to kind of place your bets on that. It's a little bit of a flippable coin. Lightning is setting in as you see how dry it is here. But, um, you know, that dynamic can change really quickly in the rainforest. Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. But do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. Thank you very much, Clay. That will take care of this Wednesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can listen to our Midday podcast, sponsored by Duveni Motors, at krvn.com or on iTunes.